The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by IBM. Big data at the speed of business. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome members of our military who are joining us today over the Internet. Thank you for being with us again. In just a moment, one of our country's greatest legal scholars, Mr. Alan Dershowitz, will be joining us to talk about his controversial new book, Terror Tunnels, Israel's Just War Against Hamas, and also about the similarities between the United States' conflict with ISIS and Israel's threat from Hamas. But before Mr. Dershowitz joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Alan Morton Dershowitz was born in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and is a graduate of Brooklyn College and Yale Law School. After being admitted to the bar, he clerked for U.S. Court of Appeals Judge for the District of Columbia, David Bazelon, and Supreme Court Justice Arthur Goldberg. Then in 1964, Dershowitz joined the faculty of Harvard Law School and three years later became the youngest full professor in the school's history. While Dershowitz is widely known for the high-profile criminal cases he's been associated with from Klaus von Bülow, Patricia Hearst, Mike Tyson, Jim Baker, to Leona Helmsley, O.J. Simpson, and Michael Milken, he's also widely respected for his expertise in the area of constitutional law as well as his views on foreign policy in the Middle East. I should mention that in addition to being a prolific author, Mr. Dershowitz is a popular television commentator and recipient of numerous awards, including the William O. Douglas First Amendment Award, the Soviet Jewry Freedom Award, the Menachem Begin Award of Honor, the Guggenheim Fellowship Award, the Center for the Advanced Study of Behavioral Sciences Award, and many others. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report the man Newsweek called the nation's most peripatetic civil liberties lawyer, Mr. Alan Dershowitz. Thank you for making time to speak to us today, Mr. Dershowitz. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, first, let me congratulate you on the success of your book, Terror Tunnels. Uh, um, so, so for listeners who may not have had an opportunity to read the book yet, let's talk about these tunnels. Y- you had an opportunity to see mm-hmm. them firsthand, and these are not the kind of primitive dirt tunnels we see, say, in you know, prison escape movies. These are sophisticated underground structures, some which even included tracks and trains. Is that right? That's right. And, you know, the amazing thing about e-books is I went down to see the tunnel. I was invited to see the tunnel even before the war began. I was the first, I think, American to be allowed in the tunnel. And I started writing my book as soon as I went into the tunnel. And, you know, I finished it like on a Thursday night. Friday, it was up online. And by Monday, it was an Amazon bestseller. That's how quickly you can get information out today in this new age of electronics. So this is my first e-book, but I'm going to start writing more and more e-books because, you know, from tunnel to uh, to bestseller in just a matter of weeks, uh, it's so different from the old days where you have to wait a year to get your book published. So I was and, so thrilled. And this to is be able information. To do it in real time. Yeah, and this is information which has a timeliness about it. You want it out before a year. Oh yeah. A year's oh yeah. No question. And the other thing about an ebook is you can actually keep updating it as developments occur because it's not hard copy. Copy. It's online electronic. But let me tell you about the tunnels. So I went down in the tunnels. There are hundred feet below ground, um, and they're extremely sophisticated. They cost about $3 million to build each. They're, they're uh, hardened concrete. They're about six and a half feet high and about four feet wide. They're built largely by children, and 162 Palestinian children died in the process of building these tunnels. They use slave labor to do it. They also shoot and kill 
some of the engineers who build these tunnels because if they're afraid, they'll be able to disclose the location of them to Israeli intelligence. You know, Israeli intelligence has a hard time with the tunnels because they know where the entrances are because you can see the dirt coming out in Gaza, but the entrances are in mosques and hospitals and private homes, so they can't be really bombed. But they don't know the route of the tunnels, and they don't know where their secret exits are going to be because they're 100 feet underground, and they just break through at the last minute. And there's no technology that allows you to find a 100-foot deep tunnel. And so once I went into those tunnels, I realized Israel had no choice but to go into Gaza and stop them. The tunnel that I was in was just yards away from uh, an Israeli kindergarten with 57 children, and the tunnel had only one purpose, to try to kill and kidnap as many of those children as possible. Would any democracy allow tunnels of death like that to exist under their property? I don't think so. So I knew there would have to be some kind of a military action to close down those tunnels. Now, again, these tunnels look like the uh, New York subway system. They're very sophisticated. They're large. They've got electricity, plumbing. Uh, mm-hmm. they, you know, when we think of tunnels, the word tunnel sounds like somebody digging in the dirt with a spoon in the br- mm-hmm. prison breakout movies. Um, I almost wish there was another word for this. Yeah, no, there should be. Uh, And the tunnel I was in had little tracks that you could put a small train on so you can get the kidnap or the body of the dead person into Gaza in a matter of seconds. It also had areas that you can put explosives underneath schools. um, So you can not only dig sideways, you can dig up. So you could put an explosive right underneath a hospital or a school, blow it up and kill, you know, hundreds of hundreds of people. It had sophisticated electronic equipment, air conditioning equipment, and, uh, you know, these were tunnels that were built with resources that were given to the Palestinians when Israel ended its occupation of Gaza 2005. The world wanted to see Gaza succeed and become, you know, a Singapore in the Mediterranean, so they poured enormous amounts of money into Gaza, hoping they'll build infrastructure and uh, you know, give jobs, but instead all the money went to building these tunnels and, to, and the rockets. And, uh, you know, it, it turned out that the leaving of Gaza uh, backfired on the Israelis because it allowed uh, Gaza to become basically a battleship from which rockets were launched and tunnels were dug. And it's now almost completely a military uh, area. Now there are civilians there, and they're used as human shields. Well, we're going to talk about those human shields uh, in the next segment, because uh, you do make a point that uh, there are plenty of places in Gaza from which attacks could be launched, and those are not the locations that have been Mm -hmm. chosen. So uh, that's a pretty compelling argument. But um, how did these tunnels remain a secret for so long? Because it takes a long time to build this kind of a sophisticated network, and there were many tunnels. And, you know, there are complaints within Israel that they should have been better intelligent. Some of the people I spoke to who live near uh, the Gaza border said they heard digging in the middle of the night, but they didn't know where the digging was coming from because it was 100 feet underground. But they could hear shovels in the, in the earth, and they notified the Israeli Defense Forces, and they simply couldn't find them. The tunnel that I was in was found by accident. A Bedouin tracker who works for the Israel Defense Forces, and there are a lot of Arabs, Druze, Bedouins, who work for the Israeli army. They're loyal citizens of Israel. One of them came across an air hole only about an inch in diameter, and he realized that it was artificial because, you know, he's lived on this land. His family has lived on this land for centuries. So uh, the Israelis put a probe down, and sure enough, they found the tunnel. They were able to then locate where the exit was, and and uh, close it off. And I went into the tunnel virtually up to the Gaza border. I didn't obviously go into Gaza. I'm not that foolish. But I went up to the Gaza border almost, and it was just amazing and very, very difficult to find. Um, When I went in there, the Israeli intelligence told me they thought there may be as many as 20 or 25 of these tunnels. Turned out there were more than 40. Um, Israel knew about them because they had been used. One of them had been used to kidnap an Israeli soldier, Galit Shalit, uh, Gilad Shalit, and had been held and traded for over a thousand prisoners. But they didn't realize that the tunnels were so extensive. They're also very sophisticated in this way. They have more than one entrance. They have three or four entrances in different houses and mosques. They also have different exits. So once you come to the end of the tunnel, there are then four or five different little uh, exits that they can use. And so one tunnel can send up uh, people to five different exits uh, within close range, but nonetheless, uh, and, and send death squads all over Israel. In fact, when I was there, there were rumors printed in the paper 
that on Rosh Hashanah, the holiest, one of the holiest days of the Jewish, the Jewish New Year, uh, they were going to have a thousand uh, death squad members come through the 50 tunnels all at once and murder as many Israelis as possible. And well, if this that is, was stopped, you know, it certainly it, saved a lot of lives. A- absolutely. And how uh, smart to have multiple entrances and exits mm-hmm. was, oh, yeah. was that. Um, now, we have to take our first break, but stay right sure. where you are. We'll be back in just a moment to find out why Israel's response to these terror tunnels was justified and why civilian casualties at schools and hospitals could not be avoided. You're listening to the Costa Report. I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Dole has a bounty of berries ripe for the picking. Fresh berries are not only delicious, but some of the most powerful disease-fighting foods available. Researchers have found that berries have some of the highest antioxidant levels of any fresh fruits. So add a handful or two of your favorite berries to your next meal and enjoy their nutritional benefits and natural sweetness in all of your dishes, from salads to desserts and everything in between. For fresh tips and ideas from Dole's berry experts, visit berries.dole.com. And be sure to check out the pages of mouthwatering recipes. Whether it's a sweet and savory blueberry-cranberry chicken salad or a simple strawberry sorbet, Dole has the perfect berry to inspire your next berrylicious dish. The holiday season is just around the corner, and I want to share one of my favorite tips for being able to avoid that last-minute dash to buy something that screams, I didn't put much thought into this. Now imagine a different scenario this year. Imagine the surprise on your loved one's face when they open the first page of the Watchman's Rattle and see a custom dedication in their name by the author. The best part is it's so easy. Just go to RebeccaCosta.com, do it right now, and click on the book cover and presto. In less than three minutes, you can request the inscription you want. So do it now. Go to RebeccaCosta.com, and this year, give an affordable, thoughtful gift that says, this is for you and only you. That's RebeccaCosta.com. Do you live with stress? If you have nervousness or common everyday anxiety, we're looking for you. Because right now we're sending risk-free supplies of a fast-acting supplement to listeners of this station. You heard right. Every listener who calls right now will learn how to get a risk-free bottle of Stress Block, a naturally derived formula that promotes feelings of calmness, alertness, and focus in just moments. Supplies for this risk-free offer are limited, so don't wait. Just call 1-800-694-7786. Stress Block is a fast-acting, non-prescription formula to support relaxation without causing drowsiness. Your nervousness is guaranteed to begin fading like magic in just minutes. This special risk-free offer is for listeners of this station, but it won't last. Call us now for this exclusive Stress Block risk-free offer. Just call 1-800-694-7786. That's 1-800-694-7786. Call 1-800-694-7786. Do you have a plan for your money? Does your money come and go like the tides? Do you just leave your finances to fate? Cash is always flowing. Money is always moving. And if you don't manage it, it will move away from you. So many people actually spend more time planning their next trip to the dentist Then they do something even more important, like their retirement. You know what they say, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Don't leave your financial future to fate. Take charge. Listen to Money Moves every Thursday at 7 p.m. here on KSCO AM 1080. Money Moves is dedicated to providing you tips and tools so you can manage your own money effectively. No one cares about your money more than you do. Therefore, you need the skills to manage your money. Listen to Money Moves every Thursday at 7 p.m. here on KSCO AM 1080. Welcome back. 
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is Alan Dershowitz. And before the break, uh, we were talking about your new book, Terror Tunnels, and the network of sophisticated tunnels which were discovered and which Hamas had been working on for some time. Now, it sounds like the first few tunnels were discovered rather haphazardly, which is, which is worrisome. Yeah, no, it's very worrisome, and, and there's been some complaint about uh, Israeli intelligence, and within Israel, there's a lot of uh, reflecting on why they didn't find these tunnels and why they didn't deal with them more quickly. Imagine how what the reaction would have been if these uh, death squads had come through and actually killed uh, dozens or hundreds of people, which could easily have happened. But, you know, fortunately, they got there in time to prevent a, ma- a ma- major disaster. About a, a dozen people were killed as the result of these tunnels, but it could have been much, much worse. And you expect more of Israeli intelligence. And yes, you would you hope do. that if there, are, if there are any more risks like that, uh, they would they would find them, but uh, but they've been much criticized. And when we went there, the Southern Command, the head of the Southern Command, said that he's been trying to get people to understand the dangers posed by these tunnels. So he certainly couldn't be blamed. But the um, but others perhaps should have uh, focused more on it. You know, you, you don't think of tunnels as posing such a great danger, but you know the North Koreans did it. They did it very effectively. I think ISIS is going to start doing it. Probably Hezbollah is going to do it in the north of Israel. It's very effective because there's no technology today for finding them. You know, Israel basically solved the rocket problems by a technological solution, the Iron Dome, even though it's only 85% effective. That's pretty darn effective. But the tunnels, they still don't have a technological solution. They're working on it, but it's going to cost over over $3 billion, I think, to have a perfect technological solution. You would have to basically build an Iron Dome 150 feet into the ground all through the border between Gaza and Israel, and that's very difficult well, to do. Well, this is one of the points that you make. You say the Iron Dome can get 85% of the rockets launched at Israel, but a uh, subterranean strategy, we don't really have anything uh, that, can, uh, that can cure that other than to no. respond with ground troops. Right, and you know, Hamas lives underground. Basically, they built shelters for themselves in Gaza. They only allow their fighters and terrorists to go into the tunnels. They will not allow any civilians to have shelter during an attack. So when Israel attacks, they try to hit military targets, but all the civilians are above ground, and all the fighters and terrorists are below ground safe. It's exactly the opposite. In Israel, the soldiers are above ground fighting, whereas the civilians are in the shelters. So the difference is that... Israel uses its soldiers to protect its civilians, whereas Hamas uses its civilians to protect its soldiers. And you mentioned that uh, Hamas launches its attacks from areas that are very densely populated by civilians, schools, hospitals, shopping areas, which means that any time Israel responds or preempts, there are a flood of photos and videos of civilian casualties, which tend to turn public opinion against Israel. And And I believe you point to the fact that there are many unpopulated areas in Gaza from which Hamas could choose to set up shop and spare the civilian population, but they choose not to. Can you speak to that for just a moment? Oh, sure. Just go on Google Earth or go and access on the web um, population densities of Gaza, and you'll see the myth. The myth is that Gaza is, you know, very densely populated. It's far less densely populated than any major city in the United States. And there are wide open areas between Gaza City and uh, uh, the other the other major cities. Uh, but uh, Hamas won't operate out in the open because they're afraid that if they operate in the open, in the open areas, uh, Israel will be able to successfully attack them. So they purposely and deliberately, and they say this, you can see it on memory.org, which is a website. You can see Hamas leaders bragging that they use children and women and the elderly as human shields, as shaheeds and martyrs, and that they won't operate in open areas for fear that if they do, they will be successfully attacked. So they've made a strategic military decision, which is a war crime, to use civilians as human shields, and it's a double war crime. Well, let me ask you this. Is Hamas manipulating the media? Yes, they. What I call it's a cruel term, but it's accurate. I call it the dead baby strategy, and I write about this in Terror Tunnels. The dead baby strategy is you get children, 
young kids. You put them in harm's way. You make them stay on the roofs of buildings. You put them in mosques, which you know are being used as uh, weapon storage facilities. You put your rockets near UN uh, areas, and you know that Israel must at some point retaliate. They just can't let the rockets continue. 14,000 rockets being aimed at their civilians, at their airports, at their cities. So they have to respond. In the end, there will be children who will be killed because they're human shields. Hamas wants that, and they get ready to parade the dead children and babies in front of the TV cameras. Uh, They won't allow, however, the TV cameras to show that the rockets are in populated areas or that the tunnels are built out of mosques. They won't allow that to be shown, but they will allow the dead babies to be shown. And so the media, which is always after the best pictures, always shows the dead babies, and then they engage in the body count. You know, a 1,000 Palestinians killed, 63 Israelis killed. They don't explain the reason for that is that Israelis have shelters, whereas the Palestinians are not allowed to go into their shelters. So from a PR standpoint, let's just talk about from a PR standpoint. From a PR standpoint, Israel's losing because they don't show, as you say, dead babies, and they're protecting their civilians. So they don't have the best pictures or the best video footage of damage. So that's not what airs. It's interesting that it's uh, a prohibition under both Jewish tradition and Muslim tradition to show dead babies. And recently, for example, at the end of the war, an Israeli, I think a four-year-old, was killed by a rocket. You never saw a picture of the dead baby because Israel won't show that. It won't show dead babies. It violates the privacy of the family and the dignity of the dead person. But Hamas specializes, even though it's in violation of Muslim tradition, they specialize in showing the dead babies. In fact, they, what they do, they showed a few dead babies who were killed in Syria. And they claim that these were pictures of dead babies in Gaza. They showed dead babies that were killed by rockets from Hamas that accidentally misfired. And they said these were rockets. These were dead babies whose deaths were caused by Israel. So they, they specialize in showing these dead babies. And, and this will continue. Every two years, there's going to be another war between Israel and Hamas because Hamas wins every war of public relations. They get the international courts to condemn them, the U.N. to condemn them. They even got President Obama to say that Israel could do more. He's basically, you know, his, his own chief of staff, Dempsey, General Dempsey, has said, mm-hmm. no, the opposite. Israel has done more than any country in history to reduce civilian casualties. But the Obama administration said they could do more. What could they do? They send leaflets, they make phone calls, they give warnings, they drop little noise bombs to give people an opportunity to leave their houses. What could they do more? But people are not permitted to leave their houses. That's the whole point. I know. They're sometimes held at gunpoint by Hamas soldiers made to stay on the roof. So they send a message to Israel, you can't bomb this house. And what Israel does is it doesn't bomb the house. It will never deliberately send a rocket if it knows it's going to kill a child or a civilian. But sometimes, inevitably, a child and a civilian is killed because the rockets aren't perfect. Yes, uh, of course. And as you point out, if Hamas was really uh, concerned with the civilian casualties, they would launch these attacks and they would set up shop in unpopulated areas. And there are many of them. They can be searched on Google Earth. And I want to be sure that people understand that what we're talking about here is not opinion. You can actually go and search and look and see where these attacks are being launched. And they are being launched in neighborhoods, in schools, in mosques. Now, we have to take another short break. When we return, we'll find out why Mr. Dershowitz says that ISIS may be America's Hamas. You're listening to the Costa Report. No matter what business you're in, what happens in Washington can make the difference between business success or failure. That's why understanding where government is headed is so important in today's competitive business environment. But where can you find experts who know firsthand the inner workings of our nation's capital? The American Program Bureau is your leading source for speakers whose experience offer unique insights into where U.S. policy is headed. Speakers like Seth Harris, former acting U.S. Secretary of Labor, Alyssa Mastromonaco, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff, and General Carl Eikenberry, former U.S. Ambassador to Afghanistan. For your next meeting or conference, contact the American Program Bureau at apbspeakers.com or 617-614-1600. 
That's apbspeakers.com. The American Program Bureau, making history one speech at a time. Hi, Registered Pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years, and what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, it may change your life. One of the most important health strategies you can use is simple, easy, and won't cost you a dime. In fact, you'll probably end up making money in the long run. I'm talking about reducing calories and even fasting, healthy ideas that have been practiced for thousands of years. Caloric restriction and fasting turn on genes that stimulate growth and repair and slow down the aging process. If done correctly, they can help keep the body in fat-burning mode. And they've got important effects on stimulating motivation and drive and brain power. After all, when someone's young and ambitious, we often say that they're hungry. In a famous experiment in the 1940s, scientists from the University of Chicago showed that they could increase lifespan of animals by up to 20% simply by denying them food every third day. And in a review that was published in 2007 in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, researchers from the University of California at Berkeley found that alternate day fasting could save lives by decreasing risks for heart disease, cancer, and diabetes, the three leading causes of death in the United States. Moreover, they found it helpful for the nervous system and the brain, improving cognitive function and providing protection from Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease, too. Fasting lowers insulin levels in the blood, which is always a good thing. Excessive insulin secretion is associated with all chronic degenerative diseases, as well as accelerated aging. And keeping insulin stable and low is one of the most effective ways to assure a long, healthy, and disease-free life. Pharmacist Ben here, urging you to go to kscohealth.com to order Beyond Tangy Tangerine, the Healthy Start Pack, and other nutritional supplements that I personally use and recommend. You can purchase these premium quality products at wholesale prices online at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. I'm the pharmacist that believes that staying healthy and strong is not only about medicine, it's about giving your body the raw materials it needs to do its work. Go to kscohealth.com. Make sure you check out the cool videos, too, at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. Hi, I'm Sam Quentin for Shirtcrafters, and I'm here with Shirtcrafters owner Scott D. Gold. And Scott, what do you think sets Shirtcrafters apart? Well, Sam, it starts with our graphic design department. We can take any tired old logo and turn it into an eye-grabbing brand. Then we can make that logo stand out in the community by turning it into a full-size vehicle decal. Next, we put that logo on polos, hats, and t-shirts, and just about anything else you can think of for your employees and customers for promotional purposes. And that's how we brand your business with Shirtcrafters. Top quality design and printing, fast turnaround, and right on the price. Shirtcrafters is located at 111 Engel Street in Santa Cruz, or go to shirtcrafters.com. You can give them a call at 831-423-0537. That's Shirtcrafter at 831-423-0537. 0537. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is Alan Dershowitz, who has a new book out terror tunnels. And before the break, we were talking about the use of uh, human shields by Hamas and the number of civilian casualties which occur whenever Israel retaliates. Uh, And the fact that these photos and videos hit the airwaves and Israel is portrayed as using excessive force. Um, And there's also an implication that Israel's striking civilians out of revenge. Now, now, I have to ask you, how much of this kind of PR has stoked the recent increase in anti-Semitism around the world? Well, I think it's a reciprocal situation. I think anti-Semitism stokes the claims that, uh, you know, Israel is taking revenge. That's one of the anti-Semitic tropes that, you know, the, new, the Old Testament is a book of revenge. And, you know, Israel loses every time it kills a civilian. Uh, it tries so hard not to, both for moral reasons and also for pragmatic reasons. It never benefits from killing a civilian. Uh, there's a video you can see online. It's done by an Indian television reporter who was in his hotel and just happened to look out the window and had his camera. And he saw a Hamas fighter firing a rocket from right next to a U.N. school. And the rocket was on a delayed fuse. And so he fires the rocket. Uh, he ignites the rocket, and then he has a few minutes, and he runs and goes underground and disappears. And then the rocket goes off, and Israel automatically responds when there's a rocket by attacking the rocket. But the rocket is now sitting next to a U.N. school. So he's hiding. 
But he put the rocket deliberately near a U.N. school. He could have picked any other place, any empty area, but he picked the U.N. school so that they can come and say, see Israel attack near a U.N. school. That's so typical of what happens. And, and yes, uh, what happens is you, you hear demonstrations against Israel, and what starts out as against the war turns into anti-Zionism, and then into, oh, and the Jews are so pushy, and they're aggressive, and it begins to morph into some of the classical anti-Semitic tropes. So, you know, look, you can be a critic of Israel without being anti-Semitic, that's for sure. But the demonization of Israel, claiming it's the worst country in the world and it sets out to kill civilians, you can't believe that unless you understand that uh, Israel is the nation-state of the Jewish people and for that reason attracts as its critics uh, many anti-Semites. For example, you get the extreme right wing, the neo-Nazis, the David Dukes. You go on David Dukes' website, he hates Israel, um, uh, even though you know Israel is anti-communist and you would think normally conservatives who believe in strong foreign policy, but when you get Nazis and neo-Nazis and virulent haters, they all hate Israel as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, now you have uh, made a comparison that ISIS may be to the United States what Hamas is to mm-hmm. Israel, and perhaps for the first time, the United States now understands how difficult it is to defeat an enemy which denies your right to even exist. I mean, can you speak right. about those parallels for a moment? Well, sure. ISIS is just like Hamas in the sense that they both grow out of the Muslim Brotherhood. They both grow out of the caliphate, the desire to create a caliphate in which the Middle East and the whole world ultimately will be Islamic. Christians will be killed or forced to convert. Uh, Jews will be killed. Uh, That's the goal of both of them, to create a caliphate uh, and to live under Sharia law. Uh, Hamas shoots, um, ISIS beheads, but they use the same tactics. ISIS is now beginning to hide among civilians and use human shields. And President Obama criticized Israel. Once we started attacking ISIS, he called off. They used to have a policy that we would not ever drop a bomb unless there was near certainty that no civilian would be killed. Two days into the war against ISIS, he called off that policy and adopted Israel's policy of trying to reduce civilian casualties but not having a near certainty. So I have a chapter in the book that says Hamas is to Israel as ISIS is to the United States. And you see ISIS making a deliberate attempt to use the successful Hamas strategy. Oh, absolutely, and they're doing it very, very well. I think the, the, the big fallacy is that, you know, we're trying to negotiate with Iran to try to get them to help us fight against ISIS. That is such a serious mistake. ISIS doesn't pose an immediate direct threat to the United States. They're thousands of miles away. ISIS poses an immediate direct threat to Iran. So Iran ought to be begging us for help instead of us begging Iran for help. And we shouldn't be giving Iran well, does any it really, uh, Professor Dershowitz, does it really matter who does the begging? Well, it does <laughs> the because the- we're, willing to, we're willing to make concessions about the Iranian nuclear program in order to get them on board. And that's a mistake. We should be... Do they have a role to play? Let, let me ask you this. Do. Does Iran do. have a role to play? They do have a role to play, but it can't be a role that's conditioned on them being able to get a nuclear weapon. If they get a nuclear weapon, to use President Obama's term, it's a game changer. Well, I don't think anyone's talking about allowing them to have a nuclear weapon. Well, but we're talking about allowing them to become a threshold nuclear state. That is, to be able to have the capacity to turn the civilian nuclear program into a military nuclear program immediately. And the difference between the United States and Israel's position on this is the United States seems to be suggesting it's okay for them to be a threshold nuclear power as long as they don't actually develop nuclear weapons. And Israel says that's too dangerous. So do many Americans say that's too dangerous. We can't let them have the isotopes that they can use to create a military uh, use of the bomb, uh, even though their initial use is civilian. Now, so the I leaders, think there are going to be differences. Yeah, the leaders in Iran, have, you know, every time there's been a, a, a con- a, an open conflict between Israel and Hamas, have been uh, pretty vocal in support of uh, the Palestinian position. Uh, but they showed a great deal of restraint this last round. Would you agree? I think they did. Yeah, I think they did because they didn't want to give Israel an excuse to come in and destroy their nuclear reactor. As Israel did destroy the Syrian nuclear reactor, it did destroy the Iraqi nuclear reactor, and I think the world uh, has thanked Israel a thousand times over. Imagine if Assad had nuclear weapons now. Can you imagine if 
said if if, if uh, the the Iraqis when we went in there had nuclear weapons, the Iraqis would still be in Kuwait if they had nuclear weapons. So you can't allow governments that are irresponsible like Iraq, Syria, or Iran to develop nuclear weapons, and uh, that's why the United States has to insist on a very very tough deal with Iran. You can't just kick can down the road and say, well, they won't develop nuclear weapons this year or next year, but maybe in three or four years when this administration is out of office, they'll be able to do that. That would be a very serious mistake. Mm -hmm. Well, I agree with that. So what role would you like to see Iran play? Well, it would be nice if Iran and the United States could come together a little bit. And uh, but Iran today is the biggest exporter of terrorism around the world. Uh, you know, it uh, uh, was responsible, of course, for the killing of um, American Marines in Beirut. Mm-hmm. It was responsible for the blowing up of the Israeli embassy in uh, in Argentina. It was responsible for you know many of the worst terrorist attacks in the world. But you do have uh, it, new leadership there. Well, you know, you don't know that. The the supreme leader is the same. The mm-hmm. president, who's usually a figurehead, is different. And they mm-hmm. got smart. They got rid of Ahmadinejad, who was a fool. And they have this new guy, Rouhani, who is much more sophisticated and much more presentable. But just the other day, Rouhani called for the annihilation. That's his word, annihilation of Israel. And uh, he still talks about the United States being the big devil and Israel being the small devil. And the ultimate goal of Iran is to see the destruction of the United States and of Israel. They don't have the capacity to destroy the United States, but they may have the capacity, if they have nuclear weapons, to destroy Israel. One of their former leaders, who was supposed to be more progressive, Rafsanjani, Johnny, mm-hmm. said if, if Iran develops nuclear weapons and bombs Tel Aviv, they will kill 3 million Jews. And if Israel then retaliates, it will kill 10 or 20 million Muslims, but the trade-off will be worth it because it would mark the end of the Jewish state, but it would not mark the end of Islam, which has a billion people. So, you know, when you have somebody well, I don't making know. I, I look at this new restraint as maybe possibly, and I I don't want to be naive or overly optimistic, as possibly signaling a more moderate uh, stance uh, on on the conflict. Uh, But again, we don't don't want to jump to any conclusions because, uh, again, you never know when when this is just manipulation to uh, get... Well, the goal has to be trust and verify. You know, try to reach out and try to make a deal, try to get them to agree, but you have to verify. And we know that they've had a number of secret nuclear facilities, including one that manufactures plutonium. So, you know, you can't just trust their word. Of Uh, course. Peace has to be based on on on-the-ground observation. That's absolutely right. And we're going to talk about that on-the-ground observation Mm -hmm. when we come back from our final break. When we return, uh, we're going to talk about um, whether the United States is going to have to put ground troops to regain territory or not, and uh, whether that has some similarities also with Israel's need to to go in there on the ground to uh, destroy these tunnels. You're listening to the Costa Report. Big data is changing the way organizations work. From data-driven marketing and ad targeting to the connected car, big data is fueling product innovation and new revenue opportunities. It's creating a culture in which business and IT leaders join forces to realize value from all data. They infuse analytics everywhere and make speed a differentiator, gaining competitive advantage from faster, more informed decisions. Leading organizations are creating new business models, developing new roles, and defining new big data architectures, including an infrastructure that can manage and process exploding volumes of structured and unstructured data, in motion as well as at rest, while protecting data privacy and security. Find out how IBM Big Data and Analytics can transform your business. Visit www.ibm.com slash big data today. As a scientist who works hard to stay on top of current events and trends, I know how easy it is to get caught up in the details of a story and lose sight of the big picture. What is happening to society as a whole? Where are we headed? Why does it feel as if there's greater instability, unrest, and danger in the world? The truth is, very few of us have time to contemplate these questions. And if we're waiting for our leaders or the media to paint a clear picture, well, we may be in for a long wait. That's why I'm urging you to grab a copy of The Watchman's Rattle. Do it now. Go to RebeccaCosta.com. Find out why scientists, government leaders, and the heads of the largest corporations in America are waking up to a newly uncovered pattern of human behavior. 
That's The Watchman's Rattle at RebeccaCosta.com. A bestseller in 26 countries and a book that Richard Branson, Donald Trump, and experts everywhere are calling a must-read. That's The Watchman's Rattle, available at bookstores everywhere and online at RebeccaCosta.com. They say you'll never get a second chance to make a good first impression. Hello, I'm Lisa Sabini from Floors Etc. in Soquel. Floors Etc. will help you make a good first impression at your home or business with our incredible selection of carpet, vinyl, hardwood, linoleum, and window coverings. Listen. Hi, I'm Jack Crawford with Music Now DJs. My job is to provide music and entertainment for weddings, corporate, and special events. I'm a professional, so when it comes to my floors, I've been calling on the professionals at Floors Etc. for over 15 years. They're reliable, they're efficient, and their prices are always reasonable. Floors Etc. will help you make a good first impression at your home or business with our incredible selection of carpet, vinyl, hardwood, linoleum, and window coverings. Stop by Floors Etc.'s beautiful showroom and get to know us. When you need to make a good first impression, start at Floors Etc. 3155 Porter Street, SoCal. 462-5586. The original Stagnaro family has been in business since 1879. The Stagnaro name stands for quality, quantity, and great service. The family's Gilda's Restaurant on the Santa Cruz Municipal Wharf is still the fishing headquarters of the Santa Cruz area. It's where fishermen gather each morning for coffee and breakfast before heading out on the bay. Stop by Gilda's and say hi. Dino looks forward to meeting you at Gilda's on the center of the Santa Cruz Municipal Wharf. Guns don't kill people, but people with guns do. In the face of recent gun violence in schools and public places, how should we balance the constitutional right to bear arms with the need to protect our children and community? Tune in to KSCO AM 1080 this Saturday at 4 p.m. to Wagner and Winnick on the Law with Monterey College of Law Dean Mitchell Winnick and Law Professor Stephen Wagner to discuss gun control and the Second Amendment. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is one of our nation's greatest legal scholars, Alan Dershowitz, whose new book, Terror Tunnels, Israel's Just War Against Hamas, is flying off the shelves. And I will personally tell you, is a page-turner that's hard to put down. So my advice to listeners today is do not start this book late at night, as I did. (laughs) I made a big mistake. I picked up the book and started it at 9 o'clock at night. And I'd get, I didn't get a wink uh, of sleep. Uh, um, now, now we have military and security experts ranging from Barry McCaffrey to Tom Ridge. Last week, even Mar- uh, Robert McFarland tell us that it's impossible to regain territory which is under ISIS control without putting thousands of highly skilled U.S. troops on the ground. I, I take it you'd agree with that assessment based on Israel's need to use ground troops to unearth these terror tunnels, for example. Well, I agree that ground troops are needed, but I don't think they have to be U.S. ground troops. I don't see why we don't ask Jordan uh, to provide ground troops or uh, Saudi Arabia or some of the Emirates to provide ground troops. Uh, it's their battle. It's their war. Uh, they're the ones who are in danger of really being uh, overtaken. And I don't think that American boots have to always be on the ground. Israel never asks for American boots. Uh, it's never had a single Israel- American soldier fight for it. Uh, what you want is people fighting for their own country. So, yes, boots on the ground are needed. Maybe American advisors and maybe American are these, are, you know, are air these, support. Are these other countries, is, is their military capable of yeah, doing the what the U.S. Military. military can do? Well, nobody is as capable as U.S. military, not even the Israeli military. Nobody is as capable. We have the greatest military in the history of the world. But Jordan has a very good military, trained originally by the British, um, when they fought the Israelis, both in 48 and 67, they gave them a very, very tough time. And they're regarded as a highly trained military. And I think there are other militaries in the Middle East. They may be small, but they're effective. And they have to have some skin in the game. They have to put some of their soldiers in harm's way and not only ask America always to fight their battles for them. Well, you know what? You make a good point. I mean, it seems as though if there's one marked difference in the way the United States 
is addressing ISIS and the way Israel has chosen to address Hamas. In the case of ISIS, the U.S. has assembled this coalition of forces, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab, Arab, uh, Arab Emirates, Jordan, Bahrain have been conducting the airstrikes in Syria, and mm-hmm. European and Scandinavian allies are striking in Iraq. Uh, how about Israel striving for an active coalition rather than acting alone? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that cure some of this uh, PR problem? Wouldn't that be great if anybody would ever come to Israel's help? But uh, that's not uh, likely to happen. Israel hasn't ever asked for it. I mean, the country. But why not? Why not ask for a coalition to help? If the U.S. can ask for a coalition, I don't understand why other countries can't. Yeah, no, they can ask for it. I don't know which countries at this point would volunteer. Maybe Canada, which has a very close relationship with Israel. Maybe Australia. But the country that's the biggest disappointment in the world now is Turkey. You know, Turkey was allowed to come into NATO. NATO was called the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Turkey doesn't belong in it. But because they have a very powerful army, probably the most powerful army in the Middle East, they were allowed to join NATO. Now NATO has one of its first major encounters in the Middle East. And look what happens. Turkey is on the other side. Not only is it not helping us, it's hurting us. Look what it did two days ago to American soldiers. They beat up American soldiers, sailors on shore leave. They won't allow the United States to have landing rights. They're trying to kill America's allies, namely the Kurds. They basically are rooting for ISIS to win. They ought to be booted out of NATO. They are doing no good being in NATO. And, uh, you know, it reminds us once again that the United States is only one reliable ally in the Middle East that they can always count on, and that's Israel. We used to think Turkey, no more. Who knows about Egypt? Who knows what, where they'll be two years from now? Or Jordan, because it doesn't have popular support among its people. Um, uh, the, the Emirates aren't real countries. They're wholly owned family gas stations. Um, you know, they don't have really real <laughs> I'm sure they wouldn't like that characterization, well, but, but it's, it's pretty close. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you yeah. look at the way they use slave labor still. Um, they have no semblance of democracy. Women are totally subordinated. Gays are executed. Uh, and these are our allies in the Middle East, but Israel is the only vibrant democracy that the United States can always count on for intelligence support, and Israel is providing a lot of intelligence against ISIS for technological support, uh, computer support. Iron Dome was jointly developed by the United States and Israel, and what a great weapon, defensive weapon that has become. So I agree with you, there should be more coalitions, and I wish, you know, the United States wishes it could use Israel in the fight against ISIS, but of course that would make it sure that none of the Arab countries would join the coalition. So they have to make pragmatic judgments to use less good armies like uh, the Saudi army instead of the Israeli army. I I think that's right, but I I always wonder why the United States seems to be big on coalitions and then we don't uh, seem to see other countries be able to successfully put together these coalitions where uh, joint ground troops are cooperating together. And uh, that might be one way to, you know, solve some of this PR issue, because if 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 there is a coalition and they are attacking civilian populated areas and then it's not just Israel that is trapped Mm -hmm. with causing human casualties uh, when they attack these human shields. It's a very good idea. The closest we will come to that, I think, is. If a two-state solution is agreed to between Israel and the Palestinians, and I certainly hope that will happen, that will be good for Palestine, it will be good for Israel, there would have to be some troops on the border of, between Jordan and the enemy countries. And those yes. troops could be U.N. troops. And U.N. troops are coalition troops. After all, what are U.N. troops? They consist of uh, battalions from a variety of countries working together under a single U.N. command. So... Uh, so far, the U.N. troops haven't worked very effectively. In Egypt, they left immediately in 67 when there was any conflict. In, in the Lebanon area, they haven't been too effective. But it holds the potential, perhaps, for being able to solve one of the biggest barriers to a two-state solution. I would argue Namely, if the know, United yeah. Nations uh, ground, uh, troops uh, were effective, we wouldn't need coalitions. They are the coalition. They are. They should be. That's what they were. You know, the Blue Helmets were supposed to be the coalition to assure peace, but it just hasn't worked out that way. It has not worked out that way is right. Now, uh, before we let you go, is there a website listeners can go to to learn more about your latest book? Oh, there there must be. (laughs) Well, it's all over Amazon. Let me put it that way. And if you can check Alan Dershowitz, I'm sure you'll find the website. I'm a technophobe. I don't know how to use any of that stuff. You know, I still write all books by hand. 
hand on yellow paper with a ballpoint pen. I will tell you that that's what E.O. Wilson does as well. He, he sits in the back of an Italian restaurant with a ballpoint pen and a yellow-ruled yeah. uh, pad of paper, and, and it drives me absolutely nuts. Well, I don't sit in an Italian restaurant. I sit in my little <laughs> office. I listen to good music, and I write, write, write. I try to do about three or 4,000 words a day. You are that's one of the photo. most prolific writers I know. Absolutely. I'm jealous. Um, yeah. Now, unfortunately, yeah. that is all the time we have today, but before we say goodbye, I want to thank you for writing this important book and for taking some time to speak with us today. Thank you, Mr. Dershowitz. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Bye. If your station is leaving us after this first hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Alan Dershowitz, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Is ISIS America's Hamas? And if so, are we in for a long, protracted conflict similar to Israel's ongoing war with Hamas? If Dershowitz is right, then we will likely see ISIS launch attacks from densely populated civilian areas next to schools and hospitals where retaliation from the U.S. is certain to mean the death of many thousands of innocent civilians. And I I wonder if we have the stomach for that. Let me know what your thoughts are and whether Dershowitz is right. You can send your comments to me uh, by going to our webpage at RebeccaCosta.com. That's my name.com. And then click on the word contact at the top of the homepage. And it'll take you right over to a place where you can send me your thoughts. And if you missed the full interview with Dershowitz or any of our other previous guests, remember that you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our YouTube channel anytime, anywhere. We keep episodes uh, on the website for three and four years, and they're all right there for you to peruse at RebeccaCosta.com. That's also where you find our weekly radio blog, which captures the top headlines from all of our interviews. So if you ever miss a program, you can still grab the highlights in the radio blog. It's short. It's pithy and it's informative. Every week we bring you the news that the mainstream media seems fit to ignore. And we never dumb it down or spin it or interpret it on your behalf. And while you're at the website, make a point to order your copy of the Watchman's Rattle. It's not too late to get your holiday shopping started. We have a limited number of first edition hardcover copies left, uh, which can be dedicated and inscribed to someone you love. So get your orders in now. My guest next week was the United States representative to NATO and one of the uh, foreign policy advisors to President Obama during the 2008 presidential campaign. Evo Dalder will be with us. Don't miss one of our nation's foremost experts on European security, Evo Dalder. And we're going to, you know, we're going to go ahead and ask him, why was Turkey admitted to NATO and the Ukraine was not? Maybe that was a mistake. Join us next week right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for a second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management.